Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Hey everyone, my name is Noah Potter. I am thrilled to be here and get to bring the word with you tonight. That word we're going to be talking about is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. But before we even get to that, please bow your heads with me and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for giving us your inspired, infallible word. Lord, we pray that you make it alive to us tonight. Father, we pray that you call your children to repentance tonight. Father, you know everyone in this room. Father, you know the needs of everyone in this room, and that is salvation from sin. Father, we ask that you make that real tonight. And we pray all of these things in your perfect name. Amen. All right, guys, like I said, 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 25. And before we do that, even, I want to set this in context. When you're at 1 Peter, you'll get to chapter 1. You'll see the heading of verse 3 on. Born again to a living hope. It's imperative before we get to our section called to be holy, that we get this part right. For unbelievers in this room, for visitors who are new to Trinity tonight, I would love to make it clear. What we're talking about is largely going to be aimed at believers. What we're going to be talking about is the devastation that a sinful world has on believers. But the context of the believer's call to be holy doesn't make any sense. It means nothing if we don't first get the foundations of the gospel correct. And those foundations are made so clear. Feel free to follow along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me make it clear. The gospel context that allows and calls us to be holy is set in the context here that Christ came to save sinners. That sin entered the world, made a relationship with God unavailable. He then sent His Son to live a perfect life, to die a terrible death on a cross, His blood making us clean, Him saving sinners effectively. So we're talking about implications of that very thing tonight. 
Now in our actual scripture, you guys can be there. and Our kind of thesis statement for the night is that God's love for us will and must affect our love for those around us. This is a, a needed message as if you're like me, we go back to school pretty soon. I love the truth that there are these moments in time, there are these accounts of faithfulness that make eternity visible. I see it every time I read and hear about stories of faithful Christians being martyred for their faith. Accounts like that make eternal reality ever so clear. If you guys haven't gotten a chance to see The Essential Church, John MacArthur's movie, I urge you to see it. And if you did see it, this will sound familiar. One of these faithful martyr stories is a man named John Brown. He was a covenanter in Scotland who refused to sign a paper that would deem the king king over the world, not Christ. His charges weren't murdering people. His charges weren't actual treason against the king. His charges that led the military to his family house was teaching Sunday school in his barn to local children. With the accounts in hand, the officer and his men roll up to John Brown's family house. They come to him and they offer him a chance to sign the paper, renouncing Christ as king, affirming the government as king. John Brown remained faithful. This officer ordered his men by his side to take aim and shoot John Brown dead. And when the men didn't do it fast enough, this officer pulled out his own pistol, pointed it right at John Brown, pulled the trigger and shot him dead in the head. He falls dead. His wife collapses with him, holding his now lifeless, bleeding body. And this evil villain of a man in this story who just shot her husband in the head asks her this. What do you think of your husband now? Her response is wonderful. Surely through tears with her husband's blood spilling all over her. I thought much of him then. I think much more of him now, she replied. Does that not make the eternal realities that we come here and talk about every Sunday and Tuesday a little more real? Does that not, should that not set our whole lives into this perspective of what we're chasing after? I thought much of him then. I think more of him now, she says. 
these eternal realities. They need to make it clear that following Christ will cost you. They need to make it clear that being a Christian doesn't come without consequence. For John Brown, that consequence was his life taken before his bride and children. This still happens today. Just last year, the number used for martyrdom would be 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith. 6,000 Christians being killed for their faith breaks down to 500 a month. 115 a week. Or 16 men, women, and children every day of the year. Could you imagine? Trinity would be wiped out in two months. True faith must have consequences. Those consequences aren't always your life. Praise God. Those consequences aren't always being killed. Amen. Your faith must have consequences. Does your faith, Christian, have consequences? This evening, 1 Peter is going to grip us. It's going to shake us all out of complacency towards the gospel. It's going to astonish us as we head into the school year. My hope and prayer is that First Peter chapter 1, 13-25 is going to stir up a love for Christ in you that you could take to the grave or the burning stake or being mocked and ridiculed by your friends or family. Since we're in First Peter, you should know that he's writing this during the reign of Emperor Nero. Maybe you've heard that name before. Nero uh, is an enemy of the faith, persecuted countless Christians. This persecution started simply by slander. There was a big fire in Rome that Nero blamed on the Christians. That led to hate by the culture. That led to dangerous destruction. Dangerous destruction, not as simple as being shot in the head. Christians that were fed to lions. One thing he would do in these elaborate garden parties, he would take Christians... He would cover them in oil and tar. He would bound them up on poles and use them to light his garden. Imagine being a Christian in Rome. Maybe you weren't killed by a lion. Maybe you weren't hung up as a torch. But you surely had to see the far-off flickering lights 
of your brothers and sisters. Imagining that the closer you got, the brighter it would get, the more smells you would smell. Maybe you'd get close enough to recognize them. Are we exiles now? Are we people who are not yet home? Are we new world people living in the old? We sure are, aren't we? That becomes more and more real at different times, doesn't it? We're going to see three main points from our text tonight. We're going to see that hope in Christ fuels our mission. We're going to see that obedience to Christ directs the blood-bought life. And our application is simple. Love God and love others. Let me read 13 to 25. Please follow along. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and God and hope are in God. Excuse me. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. Hope, this first verse 13. We're told to prepare our minds for action, to be ready for the fight. We're called to know the fight. That fight is, of course, against sin. This immediately demolishes any idea of casual Christianity, of Christianity separated from fighting sin from knowing God's word, or for striving towards sanctification. We're called to be sober-minded, 
if we ask the question, what does that mean? Sober, being sober-minded would be uh, not allowing yourself to be captivate, captivated by any type of influence that would lead away from sound judgment. Are you sober-minded? Do you fight to be sober-minded? Another distinction that's made just a couple lines in is full hope. That instantly creates these two categories. Full hope and false hope. Christian hope, of course, would be the full hope. Full hope we can imagine as an anchor for our soul. Anchored to the person and work of Christ. Not a false hope that is hoping for a good school. Hoping for a good job. Fingers crossed you get to marry the person you have your eyes on. A full Christian anchored hope. We get to verse 14 to 16. This is answering a question. How do we as Christians relate to the world? We see that obedient children are saved people acting like saved people. Saved people who are no longer acting like unsaved people. We have two more categories. Are you ignorant or are you an obedient child? We're then told later, a couple lines down, to pursue holiness. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And we quickly just need to address. Don't hear the word holiness and instantly be satisfied with set-apartness or being different from everything else. If we affirm that God's been holy since the beginning of time, then we're saying that He's been holy since before there was anything to be set apart from. We're saying that he's been holy since before there was anything to be different from. When God just was, he was still holy. Holiness is better communicated as a perfect triune love between the Trinity. So if we're called to pursue holiness, what we're called to do is pursue oneness with God. Pursue oneness with the Trinity. And again, we, we have a dividing line. This is saying one thing to believers and another thing to unbelievers. To unbelievers, it's saying there is no oneness with Christ without relationship from Christ. To believers, it's saying with Christ. In the context of a relationship with Christ, you're going to be sanctified towards oneness with Him. You shall be holy, for I am holy. We need to pursue wholeness with Christ. With wholeness with Christ comes hatred of sin, and we can boil it down to say you can't be loving God and loving sin at the same time. We're now at verse 17. 17 to 21 is... A conversation of how we as Christians now relate to God. 
17 says, And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Another quote here says that we cannot live with the right love of God unless we live with the right fear of God. God's love for us doesn't take away the fact that He comes to judge humanity. It does change the fact of where we're judged to. We go down. We read about the blood of Christ. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We see here that futile ways or ignorant former passions come to an end at the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ puts an end to former ways. Futile ways are put put to an end by the blood-directed life. Make no mistake, we have been bought with a high price. Our souls have been ransomed. A free offer of grace has been made with a high price. The blood of Christ that was shed for you to repent and to be forgiven and loved by Him. And don't make a mistake. This high price was no afterthought. We read in the next line, He was foreknown. If the elect have, elect have been foreknown, if those who he will love have been foreknown, surely the means of that salvation has been planned since the beginning of the foundations of the world. The plan was eternal. Its operation was historical. In God's sovereign timing, Jesus was made manifest in the last times for the sake of Of who? For the sake of you, beloved, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Our third point for the evening, and largely our application, is love one another. Verse 22 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this, is, this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
If you have proclaimed faith in Christ, then your life must be marked by a sincere brotherly love. You can't have Christ without love. You can't love doctrine and hate love. You can't be excited about deep, rich theology and not love others more. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us our benchmark for love. You've probably heard it at every wedding you've ever been to. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Do you love people like that? Do you love your family like that? It's that very love that needs to be experienced by all of those around us. This is the very love that needs to be radiating from us. 1 Timothy 1, 5-7 says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without un- understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. We can't love God's word and not love other people more. Us coming and wanting to learn all these deep, wonderful truths separated from love is us making idols, is us worshiping the created rather than the creator. I want to close with another scripture. And I want this to be a a final charge for us entering the school year. Continuing to live as exiles in this world. It's Hebrews 11, 36 to 38. It says this. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And listen to this. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. Exiles of this world are faithful men in the eyes of God. There are exiles of this world, and there are friends of this world. Which are you? Make no mistake. The exiles of this world, through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's good free offer of grace, are going to be at home in eternity. 
while the ones who are at home in this world will be exiled for eternity. Does that fuel our mission to proclaim Christ wherever we're going to be this fall? Does that fuel you, beloved, to love others more? Does this make us love Christ more? It ought to. Close in prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for being a promise keeper that those who come to you and repent of their sins will be saved to an eternity under and alongside you, worshiping you and the work that you've accomplished on our behalf through your perfect death on the cross. Lord, thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.